We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Be in First Chronicles chapter 11. If you have a Bible, uh, we'll open up there and, and we'll open in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is a final authority in our life. I thank you, Lord, that even though we live in the land of lies, the lies of Lucifer, we have your truth, Lord. And not only is it your objective truth, Lord, it is a, a living word. It's a working word. It's like a seed that when it gets planted in our heart, it brings forth fruit. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight you would forgive me of my sins, my many sins. And, Lord, that you would just uh, teach us your word. And, and like Henry was saying, our desire is, because we know we're in a war, there's no doubt about it. We are soldiers, there's no doubt about it. The only question is whether or not we're good soldiers. And I pray that tonight we would just somehow, Lord, you work in us so that we can endeavor to be good soldiers and that we would be a people uh, getting ready for the coming of our King because we're going to crown you so soon, Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. Bless your people here tonight. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. First Chronicles, Lord willing, tonight we're going to cover a couple of chapters uh, together. I don't know if you guys knew Aristotle. He was the one who said, uh, we make war that we may live in peace. You know, I'm not 100% sure that's true of the men of this world, but I do know it's true of the people of God. Uh, we are in war. We make war that we may live in peace. We're in a war. We need to fight for what's right. Don't just kick back. We need to be proactive. Uh, we need to fight for what's right. Win over sin. It's going to be a battle. We need to get back in the ring and fight for our king, right? With everything that we are. And I, th I, I just think that tonight's study, it's all about that. We're going to see the, the, the call to be soldiers, the call to be good soldiers, the call to be mighty soldiers, heroic soldiers, courageous soldiers, brave soldiers, uh, victorious soldiers. We're called to that. And, and in our journey... In that direction, we're called to crown our king. And you know, one day we're going to see it, you guys. I, I know, I know you know the Bible, right? It talks about that. How one day Jesus is going to come back and set up his kingdom. And man, he's going to rule from Jerusalem. It's going to be a literal, actual uh, reign from Jerusalem. And where he's going to reign for a thousand years. And then there's going to be one more a slight battle. And then everything's over. And then there's no more rebellion whatsoever. But, you know, not only do we crown Christ king on that day, but I pray that you crown him king today. You know, that the Lord is the Lord, that the king is the king, that we are his subjects, that he is our majesty. You know, because when you get that right in your life, I tell you what, you know, everything else falls into place. I'm always amazed at Jonathan. Jonathan was such a great soldier and you know, he, sh in one sense, had all the qualifications of being a wonderful king of Israel, but he acknowledged the anointing on David's life. And you remember what happened after David killed the giant? You guys remember what happened? 
You know, Jonathan took his everything that he had as far as him, you know, being the, the general and the next king, and he just laid it down at David's feet. He said, you're the king. And that's what we need to do. Our problem is a lot of times I think we're calling our own shots and we're doing our own thing. And my prayer is that the Lord would grip our hearts today to really crown him king and that God would work in us so that we could be good soldiers. So look at verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 11. It says, And all Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And maybe you've seen the the movie or hopefully you've read the Bible but you know David becoming king that's pretty cool huh David becoming king that's pretty cool. Now, prior to David being king over all Israel, David was first crowned king of the southern portion of Israel, known as Judah. We read that account in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And, and what happened, if you remember when David was young, he was probably maybe 15, 16 years old, uh, Samuel came to his town and, uh, and the Lord said, I, I've rejected Saul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose another king. And so he went you know, to, to David's house, to Jesse's house, that's David's dad, and, and, he, and the Lord said, one of the sons of Jesse's is going to be king. So Jesse brought his sons, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sons, and he brought him before Samuel, and he's all, no, not that one, not that one, even though that one's buff and tall, and no, not that one, Eliab, it's not him. And then, you know, Samuel said, well, is that all your sons? And, and then Jesse said, well, I have one more, but he's just a kid. He didn't even bring him. It wasn't even like a consideration. And Samuel said, well, go get him, you know, because I got business to do. And so David comes in. He's young. He's, he's ready, maybe red-haired. He's a good-looking little guy. And, and the, Lord said, uh, the Lord said, he's the one. And, and the Lord anointed him as king of Israel right there, probably about 16 years old. We don't know for sure, but he was definitely young. And, and then, you know, what happened, you know, one thing led to another. You guys know David went and defeated Goliath. Eventually David was hired as a musician uh, for Saul, eventually being part of his army. He was winning battles, then Saul got jealous. And David fled, and he was on the run. He was in living in the caves for probably about 13 years. Now here's the thing, you guys. Okay, He waited on the Lord. He waited on the Lord. God said, I'm going to be king one day. And that, that sounds impossible. How could that possibly be? How could this happen? And here he is on the run. I mean, it's the furthest thing from what he would consider to be true. But what ended up happening, and here's what happened. David wasn't perfect while he was on the run. He pretended to be mad. He joined the Philistines. I mean, he he wasn't perfect by any means. But the one thing he never did is he never gave up on his relationship with God. He had his ups and his downs, but he never gave up 
on his relationship with God. And that's the key. When we're talking about waiting on the Lord, for him to fulfill all the promises that he has over your life, that's the key. I always tell people, the only way you will lose is if you give up. You put one foot in front of the other and you keep both eyes on Jesus and watch what he does. You see, that's what David did. He eventually waited on the Lord and eventually, when you see this, it's so cool to see that he became the king over all Israel. It's a beautiful lesson for us. You guys, God has wonderful things for your life. Just be patient. Man, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait until I'm in heaven one day. I'm going to see all the colors. I'm going to hear all the sounds. I'm going to see all my loved ones. I'm going to see my Jesus. I can't wait until I'm in heaven one day. I mean, it's going to be amazing. And even between now and then, the good things that God has. We don't know how much time we have left, but I know this, that I will wait on the Lord and I will focus on my relationship with Him even though I have my ups and my downs and my failures. Quite frequently, I won't lose heart. And that's kind of what David did. It's a beautiful lesson in waiting on the Lord, you guys. Because if you don't wait on the Lord, then what ends up happening is you, you, know, you, you don't trust God and then you step out in the flesh. And then you make decisions that you know are wrong, but you do it anyways. It's been said a delay is better than a disaster. Wait on the Lord. A lot of people have problems waiting on the Lord for a spouse. I know many people. Over the years, I've been walking with the Lord since 1989, many people who have rejected Jesus Christ because they could not wait on the Lord for God to bring someone into their life. You know, I have a brother-in-law, he's 50 years old. He waited on the Lord until he got married. He got married at 50. And you're like, no, I don't want to wait that long. And I don't think it'll be that long for you. I'm just saying, man, God did such a good work. One guy said, patient waiting is often the highest way of doing God's will. Remember that. Remember that. You know, when you look at what happened in Israel, initially Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, was made king over Israel. You know, when Saul died, you know, Abner, the general of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth and he made him king. You can read that in 2 Samuel chapter 2 verse 12. And what happened, if you remember the story, during that time Israel and Judah, they would have these skirmishes. The Bible even says it explicitly that there was war between the two kingdoms during that time. And so God had his hand on, on Judah, however. When they would have their skirmishes, Judah would always win. Why would Judah always win? Is because they were better fighters? No, it's because they had David. David was the anointed one. That's why they would always win. And so you see that happening. And then as you read what ended up going on there, the sad account of the death and drama in 2 Samuel chapters 2-4, through 4, you'll find that Abner, the general of Israel, was murdered and so was Ishbosheth, the king of Israel, and uh, he was actually killed by two of his captains. And then after all that drama, when you get to chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, you'll see David crowned as king over all Israel. As a matter of fact, in chapter 5, verse 1 of 2 Samuel, we read the same thing that we see here in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Now, just as a side note, according to 2 Samuel 5, uh, 4-5, through 5, David was about 30 years old when he began to reign over Judah. 
He reigned seven and a half years, and then he was crowned over all of Israel, and he reigned over Judah and Israel for 40 years. And so all that was in fulfillment of God's word spoken, like I said earlier, many, many years before um, by the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 1 and 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13. You know, look again here at our text, you guys, if it's all right. Um, again, all Israel came together to David at Hebron, and they said, hey, we're family. In, in time past, this is what they, they say. In time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out, and you brought them in. That's the biblical way of saying you would give them the freedom of victory and the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and David made a covenant with them there before the Lord and they anointed him as king. Now, wh what's going on here? You want to know what's going on here? They're just, um, it's so cool. They, they just put things together and the evidence to discern the will of God. You know, they finally came to that point where they stopped kicking against the goads and they yielded to the will of the Lord. There was the will of the Lord for David to be king. You know, it was obvious. You know, it was through him that they had the victories. It was obvious. Samuel had spoken it. It was, it was all the Lord's will. And they finally, they finally, after all these years, they came to that place of acknowledging, no, you're the king. And they made him king there in Israel. And you guys, I just pray that we would do the same things, that we take the evidence that God gives us in our life. And, and, and we put it all together and it's so evident. <laughs> this is the will of the Lord. That's all you want, you guys. You just want the will of the Lord. And so, you know, they make him king. It's so beautiful to see after all these years. And the first thing he does, the king, is he goes and gets his capital. In verse 4, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, and which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. But the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first and became chief. And then David dwelt in the stronghold. Therefore they called it the city of David. And he built the city around it from the Milo to the surrounding area. Joab repaired the rest of the city. And don't you, it's cool what we read in verse 9. So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Jerusalem. What a huge city that is, huh? Jerusalem. There is a fight for Jerusalem, even today. It's just sad to see some of our, even American governmental politicians. You know, coming up with an idea, well, you know, maybe we can just kind of split Jerusalem down the middle, you know, and we'll give half to the Arabs and half to the, to the Jews, you know? 
And there's, there's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is such a huge city. Up to this point, they hadn't conquered it. They got their ups and downs and they had little victories here and there. But Jerusalem is such a huge city, significant, symbolic of uh, a lot of things, symbolic of heaven. Zion is symbolic of heaven. Jerusalem is symbolic of home. And the devil will fight you for your home. He does not want you to have Jerusalem. He does not want you to have your home. Some people, home is hell. They come to church and it's a lot better, you know, because at least there, you know, most people are on, on good behavior. Because the devil does not want you to have your Jerusalem. Not only that, the devil he doesn't want you to have your heaven, your Zion, your your home there. You know, and, but it's from there that, that, that Jesus will reign. You know, when I think of Jerusalem, and even today in the political scene, it's so obvious to us to see that there's a battle going on there because of what it pictures. It not only pictures heaven, it not only pictures your home, it pictures your heart. You know, on your heart there's a throne. Who sits on the throne of your heart? It's important that you fight for your Jerusalems. It's so huge, you guys. You know, David's first act as king over all Israel was to capture Jerusalem. It's important that you capture Jerusalem and make it the capital of his nation. Now, when you read the big story in 2 Samuel 5, Jerusalem was more centrally located and virtually impregnable on a mountain with valleys on the east, west, and south sides. During the 400 years from Joshua to David, Israel had been unable to take it, so the Jebusites were still there. But Jerusalem became the city of David in a very literal sense. It was there that he, he lived. And so we have in verses 4 and 5 right here a general description of what happened and the final outcome. Verse 6 gives us the details on how Joab led the way and earned his stripes to become the general of David's army. You know, some people, they don't want to earn their stripes. But what does the Bible say? First let them be tested. Well, they're a good person, they're a good person, they're a good person. But what happens when adversity comes their way, when they're tested? We're not known by our actions, we're known by our reactions. What kind of fight do you have? Are you willing to be like, you know, Joab who went... You know, and, and he proved it. And David said, okay, you know, you're, you're my general. You know, David then made Jerusalem his capital. They built around it. And we read again in verse 9, some pretty cool words that David went on and became great. And the Lord of hosts was with him. You know, if you have a, a most other translations, they say uh, that David went on to become more and more powerful. That's literally what it is in the Hebrew. Uh, in the original language, we see the idea conveyed of growing greater and greater, stronger and stronger. Uh, even the King James Version, which we know to be a pretty literal translation, says that David waxed greater and greater. That's really what the Hebrew is saying. And, and then there's that passage over in Second Samuel 3, if you want to, you can turn there if you're fast. 
Some of you guys know your Bibles really well, right? Second Samuel chapter 3. It, it says this in verse 1, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Same thing. Same thing. You know, in, in reference to David, it's interesting to see how he grew back in First Chronicles 11, and then he became. You guys, that's what God's wanting to do in our life. You know, I, I just get so excited to see you here in a midweek service, and, and hopefully you're here with the heart that says, Lord, I, I want to grow. I want to grow stronger and stronger. And that's got to be our heart. You know, the, the, the way that it happens, we read in verse 9, David went on and became great, is it described there, and the Lord of hosts was with him. The Lord of hosts. You're like, what's a host? Well, that's the Hebrew word for an organized army. You know, you've got the hosts of angels. They're like an organized army right and and the word is also translated war and army and battle you know some people think that god is a pacifist god's not a pacifist well maybe in a roundabout sense he is but on the way to being a pacifist he's going to send a lot of people to hell he's going to judge the wicked who reject him the lord is the lord of hosts he's the god of army he's the the God of war. And, and, and really all that matters in life and the key to growth and greatness is that that God, the Lord of hosts, is with us, the Lord himself. And, and you, know, you know, for us, you guys, it's so cool to know the Bible. And, and as God's covenant people, the truth is, if you've given your life to Christ, he's always with us, right? He's always with us. And it's so cool to see that you know, he's with us in the good times, and you're like, well, that's easy to see. He's with you in the bad times, even though sometimes that's a little bit more difficult to discern. But we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith, and we know what the Bible says. You know, one of the when I read the Bible, I read the Bible many, many times. I've read the Bible every year since I got saved. I read it many times, over and over again. And then the one thing that stands out to me as far as an individual who God was with him, can anybody think who it is? Joseph. You read that over and over and over and over about Joseph and how the Lord was with him. And how his brothers took him and they sold him into slavery, but the Lord was with him. And now he became a servant in Potiphar's house, but the Lord was with him. And then he was wrongly accused and thrown into prison, but the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him all the way through those days of adversity. God was preparing him for 13 years so that one day he would be used to save the people of Israel. You're going through difficult times, but God is preparing you for something. You've got to stand on that promise. The Lord is with you. David, as he's... You know, running from Saul, the Lord was with him. And as the Lord is with us, we, it's so cool, we, we grow. And I don't know how it works. Sometimes I, I wish, like, okay, Lord, you know, I'm growing. Shouldn't I sin, like, no more? And, and that's, my, that's my goal. But it's just that the Lord doesn't want me to become a self-righteous Pharisee. 
You know, oh, he's able to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and he's got every single rule and regulation right. He doesn't listen to secular music or watch PG-13 movies and you name it. People, they got their list. But God is so much deeper than that. I know people who don't do any of those things. And I know other people, they might watch a PG-13, but they have love. Be careful that it's not a rule and regulation thing. When we're growing in the Lord, it's a deeper love. It's a deeper relationship with God. That was happening with David. And, and I wish there were shortcuts. I wish there was a way that you could just, you know, you know, take the class or read the book or whatever. But there is no shortcuts. The only way to the crown is the cross. And so we, we go through that. David, you know, went through this. Joseph went through this. The Apostle Paul went through this. You know how the Lord was with him. When he was in Corinth, he was there in fear and trembling. And uh, who knows, maybe the great Apostle Paul wanted to give up. You know, he was just a man. But the Bible says that the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him in Acts 18.9. And he said, do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. You know, all that matters is that. Well, they're not with me, she's not with me, he's not with me. doesn't even matter. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. You know, later in Acts 23, verse 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And that was him wondering if he was going to make it, wondering if he was going to live. The Lord was with him. And then fast forward to the day that he testifies before Nero. He's about to die. They're about to chop his head off. And the Bible says no one stood with him. 2 Timothy 4, 16-17, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You know, and I have a feeling that that deliverance out of the mouth of the lion is not talking about a literal lion. It's about the lion described in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And there might be some here tonight and you don't even realize it because not only is Satan a roaring lion, he's a subtle snake. And, and you just, you, man, you're on that verge. But thank God for his grace. You know, because he comes in, and I know I've been rescued time and time again because the Lord is with me. And you want to know something? The Lord is with you. He is. This is an example for us. These guys, this promise is so cool. We know Jesus gave it to all his followers in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, I, and you know, I really got to tell you this. <laughs> Lo, I am with you always, even 
in El Monte, 2014, to the end of the age. You see, you look at this right here and you see the way that David, the king, oh man, what a beautiful, what a beautiful story. And then we get into the mighty men of David. Look at verse 10. Now these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had. And Jashobim, the son of Hachmanite, chief of the captains, he had lifted up his spear against 300 killed by him at one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was uh, one of the three mighty men. He was with David at uh, Pasadena. No, now there, the Philistines were gathered for battle and there was a piece of ground full of barley, you know, because they wanted to come and rip the people off. And, and, and so the people fled and they were afraid, but these, these guys, they stationed themselves. They said, no, we ain't going nowhere in the middle of that field, defended it and killed the Philistines. And so who, who brought about a great victory? The Lord. You're like, oh, these guys are so good. And I believe there is an element of, you know, taking your gifts and developing them. Um, there is an element of doing the best that you can and praying as much as you can with all your heart. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord. And the Lord who gives the victory. And I've seen that in life. You know, he talks about the mighty men. This phrase occurs 21 times in the book of Chronicles. And uh, the phrase mighty men of valor, we're going to see that in chapter 12. It happens 13 times in First Chronicles. Uh, the Hebrew word translated mighty, it means strong and it means brave. Uh, the Hebrew word translated valor is usually translated army, but it refers to strength and force. And, you know, that's what we have to be. And, and, and you know, you guys know your soldiers in the army, right? Right? You guys remember seeing that song in the Sunday school? We're all soldiers in God's army, whether you like it or not. Okay, unless you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then don't worry about it. You're not a soldier, but you've got to worry about something else. You know, you need the you need the Lord. But we're soldiers. Question is, are we good soldiers? When we read this right here, we're I think inspired by these guys. You know, uh, to fight with the weapons that are spiritual, the Bible says, and not carnal, but not to back down. You know, I think there is a, a visual for us here. You know, we read about these mighty men of valor and we have some of their testimonies. I mean, how could one guy kill 300? How could one guy kill 300? You know, you're like, well, that's a movie. You know, that's Captain America. He only could do that, right? Yeah, it's just a movie. Give me a break, right? But in real life, that can happen because it's the Lord. And that's why, you know, whatever sin you're, you're facing, whatever temptation you have, God can give you the victory. He really can. I mean, here you have these testimonies, uh, the, the three mighty men, different groups, so these guys that kind of hung out together. We're going to see in different types of teams and, uh, and you know, you have the first three and then another three. And we're going to see that as we go through these guys right here. 
I mean, think about what they did. I mean, just uh, defeating... Look at verse 11 again. He had lifted up his spear against 300 and killed by him at one time. And then we see them defending the field against the Philistines. Look at verse 15. Now, three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock, to David, into the cave of Adullam. And that word Adullam, it means refuge. And the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and that was the, the cave. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And notice this, David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And so the three broke through the camp of the Philistines. Think about that. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O oh my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. And there's, you know, you come at this from two angles. Come at this from an angle of, look at the way that they that they loved their leader. Look at the way they loved David. David said, I'm thirsty. And so you got these three guys, they loved their leader. And they broke through the camp of the Philistines and they got him some water and they brought it back. I mean, that's pretty cool that people would be like that, that they would love their leader in such a way. Very impressive, right? Now, of course, David didn't drink the water because if he had drunk the water, then they may have done it again. David loved the men. He didn't want them to ever risk their lives like that again for him. But he would have his men risk their lives for the country. And he would have the men risk their lives for the Lord. But not for him. And so we have to look at it from that angle. I think we also have to look at it from the angle of who David symbolizes. David symbolizes he's a picture of Jesus. And if my Jesus wants a cup of water and I have to break through the camp of the Philistines in the middle of the night, so be it. We need to be good soldiers like that for our Jesus. You know, when you read the Bible, and I think it's so important to really know the typologies in the Bible. On Sunday, we talked about Enoch, who's a picture of the rapture of the church. He walked with God. He pleased God. He had faith in God, so God took him. And don't miss the picture of Enoch. Don't miss the, the picture of Paul. When you read the Bible, and I'm telling you this, completely clear, Paul said, I'm a tupos. The Greek is a type. I'm a typology of a Christian. He said, mimitis me, mimic me. Someone might look at Paul and say, well, that's for the pastors and the evangelists. No, it's not. It's for the Christian. The Christian should be so on fire for the Lord, just fully man serving God. It's for all of us. Don't miss the pictures. Don't miss the picture of David who is a, a picture of Jesus. Now, he's not a complete picture, but he is in the sense that you know Jesus is our king. And, and we, we, we see these guys, and, and they're so... Um, it's a blessing. Look at verse 20. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of another three, and he had lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. 
Of the three, he was more honored than the two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. That's interesting to me when you read through here and you're going to see how some of them, some of these guys, they, uh, they, they, they kind of like, it describes them in different degrees. And, you know, it's this thinking about how one day when we stand before the Lord and at the Bema seat judgment, and, and it's just all revealed. You know, you might say, oh, Manny, he's, he really loves the Lord. You know what? Don't, you know, don't make any judgments yet. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, don't judge anything until that day. That day is going to reveal everything. That day will. And one day people are going to be rewarded based on, on what's really going on. Oh, these three, they didn't attain to the, you know, what these other three did. That's why I encourage you to make it real and make it deep. Make it constant and, and be holy. Love the Lord. I mean, these guys right here, again, you know, killing 300 men. Look at verse 22. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab, he also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Warren Wiersbe describes that as your worst enemy in the worst circumstances, in the worst place. I mean, just about as bad as it can get. Think about it. A, a lion in a pit on a snowy day? I mean, you, I mean, that's crazy. And there you are in your situation. And it, it just seems like the, the adversaries or the giants are growing. But may God give you the power of his Holy Spirit you know, to, to walk with holiness in your home and have that in your heart and to just give the, the victory and the glory to God. You know, we read right here in verse 23 that he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, Five cubits tall. He was almost as tall as me. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> this guy was seven and a half feet tall. That's a huge dude, man. And no problem in the Egyptian's hand. There was a spear. So that guy had a spear, like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff. That's all he had. And there's definitely symbolism there. And he wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand. It's a picture of the world and he killed him with his own spear. You know, and it's just so cool. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and, and then he won a name among the mighty men. And indeed, he was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. You know, and you go through here, and we don't have time to, to read all the names that are mentioned in verse 26 through 47, um, you know, we believe there were teams of three, there were teams of 30, not exactly 30, but around that number. And it's cool to see, you know, how the Lord had that structure in David's army. You know, uh, in the list, I have to make note of this guy in verse 41 that was among his mighty men, um, that guy Uriah the Hittite. You guys know who that is? The husband of Bathsheba. So like I said, David is a picture of Christ, but he's not a picture, a perfect picture. Uriah was an awesome man. huh? I, you read his story and you're like, wow. 
And so, you know, he has all these mighty warriors. And, and, and Warren Wisby said this, some people become leaders because God chooses them in a special way and anoints them for a special work. That is how David came to the throne. In contrast to Saul, David was faithful to the Lord. Others become leaders because people like David challenged them to do their best, right? That's what happened to Joab. He became head of the army because he conquered a stronghold and all of David's mighty men won their way into the inner circle of heroes. David was a mighty leader, but he could not accomplish anything alone. We all need one another. And I see the army the Lord's raising up even in this church. You know, and not just men, but thank God for our godly men that are here. Very different. Thank God for that. We're different for the godly women that are here. I thank God for you. We can't do this. No one can on our own. We need each other, right? And that was David's army. That was so cool, the way that it would bring, it would bring glory to God. And the army grew over the years um, at different men, different times. Look at chapter 12 and verse 1. Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left and hurling stones and shooting arrows with a bow. Some of you here, if you threw with your left hand, some of you guys here, you would look like a girl, right? <laughs> That's how it is, right? These guys were ambidextrous. They were able to, to throw with right and left hands, right? And, uh, and Benjamites, for some reason, they had that gift. And shooting arrows with the bow, they were at, uh, of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. And so these guys, they came to David, it says in verse 1, at Ziklag. Now, we know David was at Ziklag towards the end of his run. Ziklag, if you remember, was a town in the south country of Judah. It actually belonged to Judah, but was in the possession of the Philistines when David fled to Gath from Ziph with all his followers. And so Achish, the king of the Philistines, he gave David Ziklag. He assigned him there as a place to live and residence. And David was there for 16 months. He was there for a year, over a year and four months. And while he was there, the Benjamites came to David. I like what the way they're described. They're described as mighty men. Notice there in verse uh, 1. Helpers in the war. You know, not all are called to, lead, to be leaders. Uh, but everyone's called to help a leader do his job. Not everyone's called to a leader's job, but they're all called to help him do a better job. We need helpers. That's who these guys were. Uh, they were mighty men, right? And they had their gifts. And then we read, if you go down to verse 8, notice it says, Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions. Can you picture that? Rah, these guys are mean, right? And they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains, right? And, and so you have the Gadites. Uh, they come now uh, to David in the stronghold in the wilderness. And, and it's kind of cool when you study David's army. We have a description of the beginning stages of the growth of his army in 1 Samuel 22, at that time, David was at the cave of Adullam. Again, like I told you earlier, it means refuge. 
and it speaks of a fortress. And when you study David while he was on the run, there were times he was in the caves, in the mountains, or there was times where he was hiding in the forest. But God always protected him. Notice again there in verse 8, some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. You know, God, God protected him. And, and I believe that God will protect you. I like what it says in 1 Samuel 23:14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Check this out. Saul sought him every day. Every day. How many of you here have learned that your Christianity is every day? I've learned that. Because I like, I like to do three days maybe halfway decent in a row, and then I think, oh, I've got the victory now. And then, boom, I found out I'm a wretched man once again. Why? Because it's every day. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. You know, he had this stronghold. Um, David knew it was God who protected him. And so he wrote and identified God as his stronghold. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 3, The God of my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The Lord is your stronghold, right? Your refuge, your savior from the violent one. It's interesting because, you know, when you look at Chronicles, it paints these men as mighty men of valor, men who were winners. And there is that angle to them. But 1 Samuel 22 describes them differently. And I was going to have you turn there, but we don't have time. Uh, when you read 1 Samuel 22, when all the guys started coming to David, uh, you find that they were all messed up. They were a motley crew that became a mighty crew. They were in debt, which means they weren't handling their finances right. They were discouraged. They were distressed. They were like, defeated that was how God made up his army you know I, I, I don't tell anybody this okay but um, I'm getting I'm going to be sharing at another Calvary and they asked me to share another church not a Calvary and they asked me to share on the man God uses and you know you see when you think of the man God uses you know I, when I think when I was first you know saved or, or whatever like in the ministry I'd say oh the man of prayer Oh, the man of holiness. Oh, you know, the man of, you know, who's just got it all together. You know, and there is a, an element of that. Don't get me wrong. There is an element of that. But, but the Lord just took me to Luke 5. You want to know who the man God uses? is a man God chooses. And he chose a sinner. He chose Peter. So much so that Peter said, Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And he was. But God took the fisherman and he said, the Lord said, don't be afraid, I will make you. I will make you a fisher of men. And he forsook all and followed him. That's the man God uses. And I look at these guys that are in the, in the, soul, in the army, you know, that were really, it was the Lord. It wasn't, couldn't be explained by their self-righteousness or their own whatever gifts or talents. It was totally the Lord. That's who God uses. And these guys, they were all messed up. But look at the way that you've Chronicles paints them. Man, they, they grew. And, and God used them in a mighty way. 
You know, and that's how we got saved. When we came to Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not. You're like, the things which are not, what's that? That's like the Greek philosophers saying they don't even exist. That's like Jesse saying, I, I, that's all my sons. There can't be any other one that could possibly be a king. Oh, yes, there. that's the one. That's the one. So that no flesh could glory in his presence. Can't believe God would use, you know, Dion Moody. You should see, you know, the, guy, the guy's grammar is terrible. And I'm not saying you have to do bad grammar on purpose. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying that our confidence is not in the flesh. Our confidence is in the Lord, right? And so these guys, they were mighty men of valor, trained for battle. They could handle shield. Eventually God brought them to that place. Courageous countenance of a lion combined with the swift feet of a gazelle. Uh, verse 14 tells us they were captains of hundreds and thousands and and so there's a big army growing, right? And they had crossed the Jordan at its heights. So we read in verse 15. And they were victorious in their fights. Look at verse 16. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. And David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, If you have come peaceably to me help, and to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, May the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. So David received them and made them captains of the troop. And so these guys come to the David at the strongholds. They're from Benjamin and Judah. Now, what tribe was Saul from? Benjamin. And so these guys come, and David's like, huh, I wonder, I wonder if they're here like, as a spy. I wonder if they're here, but their heart's not really with me. And so he went out to meet him, right? Keep in mind, King Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. So here you have men from the king's tribe that have found David in his hiding place. And so David goes to meet him and, you know, they appear to be coming, you know, to join him. Everything looks good on the outside. But he says, you know what, let's talk about this. Let me survey the scene a little bit more. And he basically says, listen, I'm willing to receive you. But if you're here to betray me, if your heart is not really here, if you're here and your heart is somewhere else, if you're here to betray me, he says, the Lord knows there's no wrong in my hands and God, God, God will deal with you if that's your heart. And then it's so cool to see what happens because David is looking for something to confirm. Are these guys really for me or not? Because I can't tell. To be honest with you, I can't really tell. I, I see like mixed messages, right? And so what ends up happening, the Lord wants to make it clear what happens. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Amasai. 
their leader, and, 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 and it comes upon him in such a, a loyal uh, articulation, a humble expression, acknowledgement of where they really stood. This is where we are, David. We are yours, O oh David. We are on your side, O oh son of Jesse. Peace to you and peace to your helpers. And the reason is because God, God helps you. We see it. You know, and that's such a cool story. You know, as the Spirit of the Lord came upon Amasai, he spoke those words and it was confirmed in David's heart. And therefore David made them leaders. So cool. And so you got these different guys coming in verses 19 through 22. You have the the men from Manasseh. Uh, again, they joined David at Ziklag. It's towards the end of his ministry. Uh, look at verse 19. And some from Manasseh defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul. But they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreement, saying, He may defect to his master Saul and endanger our heads. And when he went to Ziklag, those of Manasseh who defected to him were all these guys right here in verse 21. And they helped David against the band of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor. And they were captains in the army. Notice verse 22. For at that time they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. And uh, we'll make this quick, you guys. Again, this is late in the days of David as a fugitive. Uh, if you want to read the background of this, you read 1 Samuel 29 and 30 and the time frame of the war between the Philistines and Israel. That's the background. Remember, David was going to fight against Israel. He was going to fight on the side of the Philistines. At least it looked that way, right? By God's grace, the Lord prevented him through the leaders of the Philistines. And they thought, well, David might turn against us at this point. And so it was at this time, this time, that Manasseh joined David. Because you remember what happened? That after they were done, they went back to Ziklag. And what had happened? The raiders had come, uh, not the football team, the uh, Amalekites, because um, the football team probably wouldn't have been able to do anything, Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Raider fan, but I'm sorry, man. <laughs> They're bad. Anyways, <laughs> you know, the Amalekites came and they burned down Ziklag and they took away all their possessions, all their wives, all their kids. It was terrible. I mean, talk about the worst case scenario of all. I was reading through the book of Job the other day and man, for him to... Have you know lose all his money? It's no big deal. Even lose all your health? It's not a big deal. But to lose all your kids? That's where David was. He lost everything, and then so everybody's going to stone him. They're thinking, "We guys, man, this is crazy." They were so defeated. But then what happened? David he uh, he just looked to the Lord, and the Bible says that he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, "You know what? You go get him." Go get him. You're going to recover everything. God will restore to you what the enemy has taken away. Right? But it's no coincidence that Manasseh showed up at this time. And the Lord will bring people in your life. And the Lord has brought people to this church like Manasseh at this time 
perfect timing. And God will, God will use you. Like he used Manasseh. It was an army of God. And, and we don't read that in Samuel, but here we see, and that was part of the explanation. That's how they got the victory. And it's totally the Lord. And it's just beautiful when you see all these things, you know, come together. And then when you read the rest of the chapter, you know, you just read all the, the soldiers that come from all the different tribes of Israel, Judah, Simeon, Levi, Benjamin, Ephraim, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Issachar, I like uh, verse 32. You've got you to read verse 32. Of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. You've got to know the times, right? You've got to kind of know what you need to do given the situation that you find yourself in today, right? You know, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods never change. I'm sorry. It goes the other way around, right? Methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do, right? And that's the thing that we have to understand. You know, what we find is that God here, uh, just I love the description of these guys in verse 38, all these men of war who could keep ranks. You know, they came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. You know, the Bible talks about that in Proverbs chapter 30, that uh, this is majestic. It's majestic, according to the Bible, when a king's troops are with him. That's powerful. It really is. And, you know, we could take that, maybe we can apply it in certain ways, I think, to the kingdom of God and, and you know, the, the battle going on here. But I would rather take it more along the lines of applying it to our king. You know, I pray that you're with your king, that your heart is loyal to him, and that God would just, you know, do a work in our life to, to really truthfully be able to say that we are not just soldiers, but good soldiers. I can't help but think of the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where it says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so don't get caught up in this world. I, my prayer is that you would, man, just uh, be caught up in God's kingdom, be a be a good soldier. Um, you know, like in the, in, the, in the army, you know, they have, I, I don't know if you guys have been seeing it, but some of the ladies are trying to become Marines and all that. And, um, you know, to me, that's like, ah, I don't think really that should happen. But, you know, it's it, in the kingdom of God, it, it can. Guys, girls, you're all soldiers, huh? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Let me just give you four things in closing. And you don't, you know, have to write this down because I know you probably put your pen away and your Bible and all that. But remember this, uh, promotion comes from the Lord. God made David king. So remember that. Number two, wait on the Lord. It may take years. It may take years of tears. But wait on the Lord like David did. Number three, be a faithful soldier of the Lord. I encourage you guys, man, get in the trenches and don't lose heart. And then number four, 
be encouraged with the presence of the Lord. It's his presence that gives us the victory. Amen? Amen. All right. We need someone to come up here and close this in prayer. Abel, will you come up, bro? I'm sorry. Close this in prayer. Let's all stand together. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, thanking you for this evening, Father. And uh, we just praise your name, Lord God, Father, for having us here tonight, Lord God. Uh, I pray, Father God, over every person here, Lord, uh, whatever struggles, whatever trials they're going through, Lord God, that uh, you would touch those right now, Lord, uh, those who are sick, those who are afflicted, Lord, uh, that would touch those things right now, Father, and those who are worried, Lord God, Father, that you would take those worries, those stresses of life, Lord God, those concerns that you already have the answer to, Father God. So I pray, Father, that you would just bring comfort and assurance, Father God, to the hearts of the people here, your people, Lord God. And that we would always know that you are in control, Lord, and that you have our lives in your hands, Lord God. So we bless your holy name, Father God, as we worship you, Lord God, that we could just let it all go, Father. Give it all to you, and you would take it, Lord God, and just be glorified in it, Lord. And we ask you in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.